Guys, is Ryan not here? Oh, I was going to throw this at him. Because for some reason, I have a Darth Vader Santa. So, all right, I'm going to give it to someone else. Uh, open your Bibles to Isaiah 7, um, 13. That, um, um, that uh, come now found um, Christmas version we did. He was born for our redemption over the manger loomed the tree. That is good writing, guys. That is fan. I didn't write it, um, but wish I did. All right, Isaiah seven thirteen. Um, Isaiah said, "Listen, house of David, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel." This is God's word. So we're starting a, a Advent series today called the Messiah in Isaiah. Or if you're British, the Messiah in Isaiah. If you ever heard a British preacher or scholar or whatever, they say Isaiah. Um, And we're doing it for three reasons. One, it's Advent season, and I'd get in trouble if we didn't do an Advent series. Two, we we can't rightly understand the Christmas story or anything Jesus uh, uh, did, does, and is doing without um, the Old Testament, particularly um, Isaiah. Isaiah sheds a lot of light on what's happening in the world and so if we like launch into the apostolic writings, the, the New Testament, without um, the Tanakh cut off from the Old Testament, we read anything we want to into the New Testament story, and then we end up with the narrative that the authors that wrote the New Testament would like look at you funny. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, if we're cut off from the Old Testament, we've got the thing in our, in our guts, the New Testament makes sense. And so we want a right understanding of the story, not so we're... Know stuff, but so we can conform our life to it, okay? All Bible reading. We want to know it so we can give ourselves, give our lives for it. And then third um, reason for doing this series is by looking at Isaiah's Messiah, we guard ourselves from looking for other messiahs, okay? The message that Isaiah proclaims uh, about the, the regathering of the Jewish people uh, their inheriting of the land, the beautification and rebuilding of Jerusalem, the glorification uh, of the temple, global peace among the nations, the resurrection of the dead, the judgment of the wicked, the, the restoration of all things. For Isaiah, all of these things come to pass through one guy. Okay, through through one man is is responsible for doing all of those things. So for an example of, of this, Isaiah 63 Isaiah sees a man marching towards him, and his garments are stained red. Um, and, and he says, the reason I, my garments are stained red, I have tread the nations like a wine press. This is the blood of the nations. Isaiah says, well, who is this guy? And the Lord says, it's me, right? I'm the guy who's done this. And he goes on to say, for I planned the day of vengeance. And the year of my redemption came. I looked, there was no one to help, and I was amazed that no one assisted. So my arm accomplished victory for me. My wrath assisted me. I crushed the nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath and poured out their blood on the ground. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I know, Isaiah 63 is a real, uh, put that on your coffee mug. Yeah, all right, so point is, for Isaiah, one guy is, is responsible for this, and he needs no help. And so the reason I want to emphasize this is because of 
the human tendency to read that God will save the world by his Messiah, but then to place someone, often ourselves, okay, or, or some movement or some organization in his place. Okay, or to read Isaiah 61, this beautiful description of Isaiah's uh, Messiah and Savior of the world, where he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to, you know, to save the world, right, is the rest of the thing. Jesus picks that up in Luke and says, hi, here I am to read that and then assume that the me in Isaiah 61 is you and not the Messiah that Isaiah has been describing in the 60 chapters before, right? To read God will save the world by his anointed one and then to think and act like, and I am that anointed one. I'm the guy. Fear me, all you nations. Or that man or that, anoint, you know, that movement is the anointed one. And the consequences for doing this, for taking who Isaiah says the, and the rest of the scriptures say the Messiah is, and putting anyone else there, the consequences for this are, are terrible. Okay, so if you've followed, um, I haven't spoken about it like from here yet. If you followed what, what's happening at the International um, House of Prayer, a ministry that's been... Um, very impactful and influential for me, like I just and for a lot of people uh, that's devastating okay if you, they're they're just they're ruining stuff and my greatest concern about what's going on there outside of, of the victims and outside of Mike Bickle's soul my greatest concern is for the little lambs who not purposefully okay but just because of the human tendency may have placed their hope and their trust in the wrong anointed man and therefore, when he's unmasked as a wolf, their faith crumbles. Like, that's what I'm most worried about, is that people have put their trust in a movement like IHOP or a man like Mike Bickle. And then when he's shown to be what he is, their faith crumbles, okay? Um, what's happening with, with Dalton and Frontier Alliance International is devastating, too, and the concern is the same, okay? How many people or, uh, put their hope in people like Dalton, uh, uh, put men on a pedestal where men don't belong, Okay, and because and and so the worry is how many will choose to leave the faith or or leave the mission field because they've been disillusioned. They put their hope in him or this movement or whatever. I thought that was the guy. I thought this was the movement that would bring about redemption. And so I'm worried about it. And I want to and Isaiah emphasizes it because wrong thoughts about who the Messiah actually is. It kills And it ruins faith over and over and over again. So we have to be firm in our resolve and remind ourselves that we signed up to put our trust in one man, okay, Uh, not, not another, okay? There is one Messiah that God has anointed to save the world, and his name is Jesus, son of Joseph. Okay, that's the guy. And they're, they're, they're not Mike Bickle, not Don Thomas, not Josh Reese, not fill in the blank. They're not going to save the world. That guy is. And there's one movement that God has ordained and anointed to save the world. And it's called Angels and Fire. That's God's plan for it. Not IHOP, not FAI, not CLC, whatever. So for the next four weeks, we're going to fill ourselves up on Isaiah's description of God's anointed so that we don't fall prey to placing our faith or hope in anyone or anything else. Okay? Long intro. Sorry, but um, I ju- I'm just I'm, ru- I'm worried about young people who put their hope in movements and people and then those things fail.
Okay? Um, so. Alright. So today, we're going to do four texts from Isaiah that show that God's anointed, Israel's Messiah, is a son. He's a son. And then we'll look at him next week as the king. And then the next week as conqueror and then something else. I don't remember. All, all the stuff. So, four texts from Isaiah that show that he is a son. Max already said Isaiah 9. So, this is what the angel told Joseph, right? If you don't know the Christmas story, uh, angels show up everywhere and they're telling people stuff about the baby that's going to be born. So, Matthew 1, the angel shows up and says, she will, and says, don't be afraid. <laughs> okay. Giant angel man, I won't be afraid. She will give birth. You're, you're, you're. Uh, girl, she will give birth to a son. You're to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Now, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. See, the virgin will become pregnant and will give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So where is the angel getting the son who will save uh, language and story from, and why does Joseph know exactly what the angel's talking about, and why does Mary know exactly what the angel's talking about, right? Like, the angels give these announcements, and, and the people they're telling them to go, okay. You know what I mean? They're not like, hold up, break it down for me, Gabriel, what on earth are you talking about? They just all go, oh, right, sure, absolutely, we, you know, we've been waiting for, for this to, to happen, and the reason that they don't whatever, the reason they just know what's happening is because they know the Messianic Son passages from Isaiah. And so the first passage uh, that they're drawing on is is the branch passage. So Isaiah chapter 4, right? On that day, Isaiah 2, the day of the Lord, on that day, the branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the land, the land of Canaan, will be the pride and the glory of Israel's survivors. Okay, so here, the branch, he's a divine figure, right? He comes from, he branches out of, from, like a son, the Lord, the branch of the Lord. But he's also human. He comes from Canaan, right? Yeah, just down the road, right? He comes from, from Canaan, and we sang it this morning, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity, right? God in, in the flesh. So what will the sun, what will the branch um, do? Isaiah says he's going to be beautiful and glorious, probably referencing his character, because later in Isaiah, he's like, yeah, the Messiah is a total uggo, right? Ugly, like no one liked how he looked. So beautiful and glorious, probably his, his character. Um, it says he's going to be the pride of the nation, the pride of Israel. They're going to boast only in him and not themselves, which is a theme, right, for them and, and for us. They're going to boast in him. And further, uh, Isaiah says he's going to save the people from their sins, which again points to divinity, right? Mark 2, who, who can forgive sins but God Alone. So this is what he's going to do. So on the day of the Lord, Isaiah 2, he's just described verse 3. Whoever remains in Zion, whoever's left in Jerusalem will be called holy. All in Jerusalem, written in the book of life. And how does this happen? When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and has cleansed the blood guilt from the heart of Jerusalem by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. So what did the angel tell Joseph? He will save his people from their sins. Just like Isaiah 4 said he would do. So this, 
right? Beautiful and glorious, the pride of the people, the, the savior of the sin. This is the expectation of Isaiah's messianic son branch. He will branch out from the Lord, from the land of Canaan, save them from their sins. And finally, he's going to protect and guard his people. Verse 5, then the Lord will create a cloud of... Is there a dog? There is a dog. Hello. Sorry, I didn't mean to point. I just that, that sounded like a dog. And the other dog that here is so tiny, it couldn't make that noise if it wanted to. It's more of a rat. <laughs> a rat that we love, you know, sometimes. Sorry. Verse 5. The Lord creates this, this cloud of smoke by day, glowing flame of fire by night. Exodus story over the entire site of Mount Zion and over its assembly, over its people. For there will be a canopy over all the glory. So glory is filling the city of Jerusalem, the city of Zion. And there will be a shelter for shade from the heat by day and refuge and shelter from the storm and the rain. Just what was promised in 2 Samuel 7. So what did Isaiah expect the Messiah to do and be? All of this stuff. Okay, what did Mary expect? All of this stuff. What did Joseph expect? All of this stuff. Like this is in the Bible for no reason. So what should we expect the Messiah to do and be? Divine branch from the Lord, from Canaan. The people place their, their, their pride only in him and he saves them from their sins and he rescues and he protects and he fills the city with glory. So when you think about Jesus, right? Spoiler, it's him, okay? When you think about Jesus, you need to think in Isaiah categories, right? Not just generic savior of the world, though he is absolutely savior of the world. That's all true, but Isaiah's got like oddly specific things, that he expects this guy to do. And we want to expect the same thing so that we can give our heart and life to it. Okay, next text. Isaiah 7. Isaiah 7, 1 and 2. This is the coolest one. So hang with me here. And then the next two are cool, but they're not as cool as this one. This is the coolest one. Isaiah 7 says, In the days of Ahaz... King, sorry, I have to stop again. Barry, it is so weird to see you sitting down. Last Sunday, I was like... Man, something is weird in here. And it, it, I didn't remember until like after church. I was like, oh, Barry was sitting. So it's just odd for me. I'm glad, I'm glad you're sitting, but I'm just like, it's odd. That doesn't look right. Okay, sorry. I was hanging out with Piper from 5.30 to 8 this morning. Just She was just awake, just having a good time. So Isaiah 7. In the days of, of King Ahaz, king of Judah... Um, the southern kingdom of Israel, Rezin, the king of Syria, and, and the king of the northern of, of Israel, they came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but they could not yet mount an attack against it. So after Solomon, David's son, after he died, the kingdom split into two. So we have the ten northern tribes, and they're called Israel. And we have the two southern tribes, they're called Judah. So uh, that, that's bad. They, they split. And then Israel has formed an alliance with Syria to overthrow Judah. It's like a little civil war thing. It, it's, it's bad times for the people. Okay, So verse 2, when the house of David was told that Syria is in league with the northern kingdom, the heart of Ahaz and his people shook. Like, oh, our brothers and sisters are partnering with the bad guys to overthrow us. And here's what the bad guys want to do. And honestly, Ahaz is a bad guy, so they're all bad here. But here's what they want to do. Verse 6. They say, let's go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of 
not uh, David, but set Tabeel as king in the midst of it. So what they want to do is they want to set up uh, not a son of David. And who is the throne promised to? The son of Son of David. So they want to take someone who's not the son of David, and they actually want to take a Gentile and put him on the throne in Jerusalem. And so that's bad because if that's successful, right, if there's not a son of David ruling on the throne, then everything that God promised is lost. So we won't go through all the covenants right now, but like this is very important for the, especially the Davidic covenant, that a son of David sits on, on the throne, right? No Davidic line. No Davidic kingdom, very bad news. So you see why the heart of Ahaz is shaking, right? It's turning to water. He's outnumbered. Uh, you can look, you can act, this is a cool war you can read about on Wikipedia, right? They're, they're running out of water. Things aren't good. And on top of that, the Davidic throne is, is threatened. And so the Lord says to Ahaz through Isaiah, he says, hey, I'm going to send you a sign to show you that I am faithful to the covenant. And that the throne of David is going to endure, it is not going to end. So verse 14, the Lord himself, Isaiah to Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Yeah, he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't abandoned the throne. He's going to, okay. So what happened next is a son is born, and his name is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, in the line of kings, Thumbs up, right? David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Josiah, Asa. That's about it, right? Like, that's not if, Bosheth. Okay, Hezekiah is a good king. He does what, what Deuteronomy 17 says the king is supposed to do. He meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. He, he tears down the high places. They've set up to worship altars. They start worshiping the Lord again. Like, Hezekiah, he's good. And so that sign of a child being born showed Ahaz that, hey, God is with us. He's still with Judah. He has not abandoned the covenants, okay? So through the son being born, they know God is still keeping his promises to the house of David. They will not ultimately be destroyed, and God will protect through a through a son. They want to put Tabeel up there, and God says, no, we'll put Hezekiah there. She will bear a son. So let's talk a little bit. When you read the prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen, the virgin will conceive, bear a son, you'll call him Emmanuel, and then you look at what actually happened. It doesn't, doesn't match. Okay, um, so let's read it again. Therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Well, a couple problems here. Okay, Abijah, Ahaz's wife, is not a virgin. So. And they name their son, not Emmanuel, but what? Hezekiah. Okay, so we can't honestly say that the prophecy about the son is fulfilled in its immediate context. So what do we do with that? As Bible believers, right? What do we do when the word of the Lord goes out and then what happens doesn't... Are you seeing the problem here? Okay, I just want to make sure. All right, what do we do with that when it, when it doesn't uh, actually happen? Well, we do the same thing that the prophets do. We do the same thing that the authors of the Second Temple uh, literature do. We do the same thing that Jesus and the apostles do with it. We hear the word of the Lord and we believe it, right? We, we're, where's my, we get our umbrella, right? Because he said it's going to rain. We're, we're going outside. But when it doesn't come to pass in the immediate context, we just do what they do, what our, our faith does. And we just push it into the future. 
We say, okay, well, I trust God. I trust his word. That didn't happen like he said it would. So I'm going to push it into the future. And I know that might sound like a cop out to modern Western ears. Like, nope, Isaiah is a false prophet, right? And, and then if you do that to Isaiah, you have to do it to all the rest of the prophets. Because this is how it works almost every single time. It sounds like a cop out to us, but it's just normal for them. Most of the prophetic oracles, they work this way. They give the word of the Lord, and then there's like a little bit that looks like a son was born that did show that God was with him, but it wasn't um, the whole bit, okay? So I just want to, you can just, I'm just going to let that mess with you for a little bit, and we'll go to our next text, okay? The next text is about the son, the most famous one uh, that that Max read, is Isaiah chapter 9. And the context of Isaiah chapter 9 is that even though a son was born, and even though that son was awesome, Hezekiah, two thumbs up, he, he bought Judah some reprieve from their enemies, he saved the throne of David from being overturned, he doesn't do all the stuff that Isaiah prophesied about him, Right? So as you read through Isaiah and you read the prophecy and you read about Hezekiah, it's okay to just go, we love you, Hezekiah, but you're a little underwhelming, to be honest, right? Like Isaiah uh, over-announced and then under-delivered, it seems like, based on Hezekiah. So then we get chapter 9, where Isaiah keeps prophesying. Uh, Isaiah 9, verse 1, he says, Nevertheless... So in spite of all that's gone on, in spite of all of Israel's folly, in spite of all the wicked Gentiles, like it's just a whole whole mess. In spite of all of this, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when the Lord humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nation. So Isaiah says, yeah, Hezekiah's awesome, but he didn't do stuff so i'm going to say in the future this is what's going to happen verse two the people walking in darkness they've seen a great light and i just want another thing as we talk about prophets and the oracles and all of this stuff isaiah is speaking in past tense right the people walking in darkness have seen a great light are they seeing a great light as isaiah is saying this no but prophets speak in past tense to communicate future certainty Okay, this is what they do. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation. You have increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and and they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressors, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every for the every trampling boot of battle boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war they will be burned as fuel for the fire okay so what's the expectation of the sun through the the promised sun through the branch the nation will be exalted rather than humbled right naphtali and zebulon they've been brought low honor will come to them rather than shame light will dawn on the nation different than the night they're presently experiencing and their oppressors will be shattered This is what Isaiah is prophesying, and all of this is going to come, and it's going to be miraculous, like Gideon taking 300 dudes and overturning uh, the Midianites. You guys know this story? God takes a total loser named Gideon, total coward, takes 300 dudes, and I don't remember which ones, the ones who drink from their hand or the ones who drink like dogs. I don't know who he takes. Uh, But they overthrow this whole army with clay pots and torches, 
Right, So it's this miraculous thing that he did to the Midian. So all of these things are going to come, and it's going to be miraculous. It's going to be through the hand of God. And then all of the array of the people, that, they, that what, what they wear for war, it's going to be burned because they don't need it anymore because there's not going to be war. Okay, So this is the expectation. So why? Why is this going to happen? Why is this certain for Israel's future? Verse 6 tells us why. This is all going to happen for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. Okay. What, what did, what did, what did the, your version say? The message? He's going to take over running the world. Yeah. Hallelujah. Okay. So the child, the promised son of David, the government's going to be on his shoulders. He's going to be in his seat and the circus tent is going to be torn down. We'll have an adult in charge. Amen. All right. And then to, to really emphasize and, and show. You know, we're good. Yeah, so, all right. To emphasize and show that the prophecy is not immediately about Hezekiah. OK, that Isaiah is not ultimately pointing to this immediate son, but about a future Davidic king. Look at what they call the son and then see if this describes Hezekiah. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. Okay, I get his guy. Get over that. And then Mighty God, right? Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast. Its prosperity will never end. Right? Like we love you, Hezekiah, but ain't nobody calling you Mighty God, right? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then to put the nail in the coffin that. Isaiah is pointing to someone else and not Hezekiah. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Forever. This is what Isaiah expects. And the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. I did it by myself, says the Lord. So this is what Gabriel is saying when he shows up to Joseph and, and Mary. This is what he's saying when he shows up to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is what Joseph is hearing. Oh, a son? You mean Isaiah 4 and Isaiah 9 and all, all the stuff. And so this is what the Messiah, the son of David, the branch of the Lord, this is what he's going to do. All of this stuff. And so that's like make your heart rejoice if this is where history's going. If this is what it, what it is about. Okay, our last text here. Isaiah uh, 10 and, and 11. Um, Isaiah 10, 27 says, On that day, the Lord God of armies will chop off the branches with terrifying power, and the tall trees will be cut down, and the high trees fell, the, the branches, the children, the offspring of the seed of the serpent, the seed of the woman, chopping them down. On that day, they are cut off. On that day, God wins. God flexes. So into verse 11. Then a shoot will, or chapter 11, a shoot will grow from the stump of who? Of Jesse. Jesse's David's dad, right? So it's the seed. It's the branch. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And what will this son do? What will the branch do? The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. What happens at Jesus' baptism? Spirit descends on him, saying that's the guy, he's the one. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will judge the poor righteously. He will execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Sounds like Isaiah 9. And he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Like this is the expectation 
of the son. So the son of David, the, the son of, of Jesse, the branch, is God's anointed one who will execute the day of the Lord, who will bring judgment on the wicked and bring r- reward to the rights, right? This is his, his function. And this is all happening after Psalm 2, right? So Isaiah is obviously drawing on Psalm 2. Why do the heathen, why do the nations rage? People plot in vain. The Lord has set his anointed on the throne. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Isaiah is like, That'll work. You know, I'm, I'm just saying the, the same thing, okay? And so what is then the fruit of his arrival? What is the fruit of his reign? Verse 9, they will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Verse 10, and on that day, the root of Jesse, the seed of David, the branch of the Lord will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. What is the resting place of the anointed one? What's the resting place of God? Psalm 132. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He's desired it for his home. Verse 14, the Lord says, this is my resting place forever. I will make my home here because I have desired it. So not Dallas, right? (laughs) No, Zion, that's the one that I want. Verse 15, I will abundantly bless its food. I will satisfy its needy with bread. I will clothe its priests with salvation and its faithful people will shout for joy. And there I will make a horn, a branch, grow for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. Lamp guy. Yeah. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but the crown he wears will be glorious. So this son, seed of David, son of Jesse, branch of the Lord, he's going to beautify and glorify Jerusalem. This is where I'm going to live, he says. And verse 11, or on that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time. To recover the remnant of the people who survived, he will lift up a banner for all the nations. He will gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So just four texts. Isaiah's Messiah is a son. Okay, He's divine. He's a branch out of the Lord, of, from the Lord. He's human. He comes from Canaan, from Jesse, from, from David, from Mary. His character is perfect. He's the pride of Israel. He's the protector of Judah. He's the tribe regatherer. He's the beautifier of Jerusalem. He's going to bring light. His reign will lead to global peace from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. He's called Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save his people from their sins. This is what Isaiah expects the Messiah to do. Is it what you expect the Messiah to do? Hopefully after today, yeah. Like, Oh yeah, totally. That's what I always thought he would do. Brody, can you come help us, please? So if this is your expectation um, of the son that Isaiah prophesied about, that the angel showed up and said, that one, that John the Baptist later said, yep, that one. The apostles later said, yep, that one. You killed him at the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up to show you that he's the son of David. God, right? Like, the, the, if that's your expectation, like everyone else, awesome. Okay? Fuel that flame. Gather with the saints. Sing about these things. Read these things. Encourage each other um, in these things. If this is not your expectation of the Messiah, or if you have zero expectation of the Messiah, which is totally normal, right? 
Go out on the street and ask someone, what do you think about the Messiah? Okay, weirdo. Get out of my face. You know what I mean? If you have no expectation of, of the Messiah, uh, our plea this morning, my plea with this morning would be that you would change your expectations. And you would expect him to do these things. He, this promised branch and son and, and seed and, and lamp and horn, this guy and no one else will do everything that was promised through his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension and return. Including... The big one for us today, like the main thing you need to understand today, including save people from their sins. John 3, the guy shows up. He's doing the ministry that he's called to do, that he's anointed to do, that God has put his spirit on him to do. And he tells us this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. It's not a new story. Same story. His one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him, everyone who puts their trust in him, in his cross for the forgiveness of their sins, in his resurrection as the guarantee of their resurrection, in his spirit as the uh, enabler and empowerer to walk the narrow path until he comes, everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Will be raised from the dead on the last day to live forever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through the son. Okay? Jesus is only saying these things because Jesus knows Isaiah. He knows what Isaiah said. And Jesus walks into the synagogue, unrolls the scroll and says, see Isaiah 61? says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointed me to proclaim good news, to preach good news to the poor, to announce the, the freedom of, 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 uh, from captivity, right? To do all of these things. And then he rolls the scroll up and says, I'm the guy. And so this is what we're saying to, to you today, to our members. We encourage each other with this. If you're not a member, you're not a believer, this is who he is. He will save his people from their sins. He will restore all things. The government will rest on his shoulders, right? People who have walked in darkness, a great light will shine like this. This is who he is. And so if you're not repenting of your sins, putting your trust in him, um, you should do that today. Okay? Like, like today, like in the next five minutes, you should put all of your hope for eternal life, all of your hope for the forgiveness of your sins, all of your hope to navigate this age in him. And so if you have questions about what that looks like or what that means, you can talk to a member of our church. So if our church members, you just raise your hand. Okay? They can tell you what it means to put your trust in Jesus, what it means to follow him, what it means to, to live forever. You can talk to any of our um, elders. But don't leave here today having another hope for, for everything being fixed. Don't leave here today having another Messiah in mind. There's one guy... Okay, and he's proven it by God raising him from the dead. So let's pray and I'll invite our elders up as well. Father, thank you for um, the surety of your word. Um, Isaiah 55, that my word that goes out from my mouth will accomplish all uh, that, I, that it says. Uh, my word will not return to me void. So God, we, we believe the prophet's.
God, we believe the oracles, we believe that what Isaiah said um, is sure and it's reliable. And we believe it because Jesus did and Jesus rose from the dead. So we believe it all. We put our trust in it. So I ask God just over the next um, couple more weeks of of Advent, um, Christmas season, that as we hear songs uh, about the Messiah, about uh, his his first coming into the world, uh, that, that you make our expectations and what we think about this man uh, align it to these passages. When we think about the sun, let us think about uh, the Isaiah 4 branch, the Isaiah 7, God with us, the Isaiah uh, uh, 9, uh, ruler of the world, the Isaiah 11, one that brings peace to the nations, justice to the nations. Anchor our hope in him today. In the name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Amen. So we're, sorry, I misspoke. We're going to come to the Lord's um, table now. So deacons, if you guys could go ahead and pass out um, the Lord's Supper. If you are uh, repenting and putting your trust in Jesus and and have been obedient to that and being baptized, you're more than welcome uh, to take the meal with us. If you're not repenting of your sins, not believing, not baptized, please let the plate um, pass. We have to talk with you afterwards about uh, why we do that. And then um, parents take this time to instruct your children in the gospel. Christ for our sins to live um, forever. Would you guys go ahead.